Like, have, okay, have you have you ever held a chainsaw? Yes. Oh, wait, you have? Okay, do tell. Yes. When did you hold a chainsaw? The power courses through you. I don't know, just as a kid, the tree comes down, you need to get rid of it. You need to clear up the property. I don't know. Wow. Oh my oh my god, you're so butch. <laughs> Alright, that'll do. That'll do. Hello, hello, and welcome to Skeleton Closet, a podcast at the, at the intersection of queerness and horror. I'm Jake. And I'm Shannon. And this week we are here to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of 1974. Um, not any of the 11 sequels or reboots or any of those ones, but the, the OG, the 1974 one. Ah, uh, yeah. So it was directed by Toby Hooper, written by Kim Henkel and Toby Hooper, and it stars Marilyn Burns as Sally, Paul A. Partian as Franklin, and most notably, Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface, along with a couple other uh, unknown actors who play our insignificant sidecast. Not not super insignificant, but like even the narrator at the beginning is like, "Ah, oh, yes, a group of youths, mainly Sally and Franklin, <laughs> because fuck the other ones." Yeah, fuck those other youths. They didn't matter. Um, <laughs> and I guess content warnings off the bat: it is a slasher. It's like maybe the slasher. So you know, general violence, blood and guts, serial killer shit. If you can't deal with people being maimed and their bodies used for all sorts of wild things maybe skip this one um additionally things like suicide self-harm and ableism play uh, a rather large factor in this movie so be aware uh shannon what were your initial thoughts on the movie so i i i like i knew almost nothing about this movie going into it i had just listened to a podcast episode by look good for the boys which is another queer horror podcast and they were Mm -hmm. doing a like who wore it best leatherface edition and like that's where i learned that there was like some queerness to this but like i i had no idea what was going on i'd never seen texas chainsaw massacre like i only (laughs) ever like knew it had a a chainsaw in it but that's about it um so i I did not have super high expectations. Like, I knew this would be a slasher. Um, I was actually pretty impressed by it. Um, And, like, the symbolism that they have and the statements and how it highlighted this kind of, like, um, forgotten rural uh, American town and, you know... Mm. Uh, what happens to people when industrial capitalism moves in. And I really enjoyed that. And I I had, like, been wondering, I'm like, you know, what the fuck was up with this, like, hitchhiker? Like, wh- what's what's up with, like, gasoline? Oh, I love the statements on gasoline. It got me very, like, Mad Max vibes. Like, fuck yes. Um, and I, I just... I overall enjoyed this as like a film like this 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 was a genuine film and i Hmm. i'm not surprised at all that it won so many like awards and it's on so many like 
you know, best films ever released, like most controversial films. Like I, I really yep. enjoyed it. And like during my first bit of research when it was like, Oh, Toby Hooper, like really wanted to get a PG rating for this movie. I was like, to- Toby, Oh, to- Toby, honey, <laughs> fat chance. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> so what, what, what did you think, Jake? I mean, I, this movie I think is one that makes me really appreciate that we do this podcast and makes me feel really happy that like, we get to sort of sit down and, and have these conversations about the things after we watch them. Um, because, you know, we like to take sort of a narrative analysis lens at the horror movies that we watch. Um, and, and this is where I'm realizing, I think you're much better at that side of things than I am because <laughs> I, I watched this and I was like, Oh, so this is just like a shock factor, like blood and guts type movie. And then, and I was like going to, I wrote in the notes originally, like Shannon, how the hell is this queer? You've lied to our audience yet again. You have roped them into another (laughs) movie devoid of queerness and, and depth. And then, like, as I'm reading your notes, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, yeah, no, you're correct. Um, <laughs> I just yes. didn't pick up on any of that rich symbolism and detail on my first watch. So, you know, I, I, I feel glad that I get to uh, do this with you because then I get, like, much more uh, much more depth out of all of the movies that we watch. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is thanks to you for making this a good episode of the podcast. Because if it was just me, I would have been like, there, there through some fucking murders, and then uh, it ended. <laughs> beautiful. Be- beautiful. I would listen to that episode. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I don't know. It was fucking chick. She fucking died. What do you want from me? Move on. <laughs> Wow. I mean, like, you know what? I I think that's, like, like, I'm actually really thankful for this podcast, too, because, like, otherwise, like, I, I never would have watched this movie, like, number one. But, like, yeah. now this gets me, like, wanting to watch all of the, like, classic horror movies with you just so we can, like, shoot the shit about it and, like, talk about this stuff. Because, like, I don't know, like, on, on the surface, like, this like it's it's an okay movie like it's 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 fine it's yeah. fine yeah like i would have enjoyed it for its symbolism and stuff but like you know i've i've got like a lot of practice now like analyzing movies and shit like this is what i did my thesis on right so mm-hmm. like i'm i'm like real amped and like ready to get in there and like dig into the good stuff but like I don't know it's 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 not fun alone like it's so much more fun to like talk about this with someone right yeah a hundred percent so um you had put together some notes as to how to situate this movie against the backdrop of history so some of like the notable historical events that were happening in and around 1974 in the few years prior that sort of you know set set the scene for us set the table where is the world in 1974 Oh, I am so glad you asked, Jake, because <laughs> this, this was when my parents were young teenagers, so, like, they remember this time, and when I told my mom we were watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that it's from, like, the 70s, she was like, oh, that was the Nixon administration, and I was like, oh, fuck, okay, so, <clears throat> welcome back to the early 1970s. In 1970, we have the Stonewall Riots, right? So this is when gay pride kicked 
off in a very violent way. We had the Vietnam War uh, started with American intervention, and eventually America did withdraw in 1973. This was also a time of the Richard Nixon administration, and going hand-in-hand with that administration was the big Watergate scandal by the U.S. government. So we've got a lot of um, disdain for the U.S. government at this time, where people, you know, they're really against the Vietnam War efforts, and, you Mm -hmm. know, they're learning to not trust the government officials because they're lying during this scandal. We have a lot of other things going on at the time as well, right? So we've got the Charles Manson murders, and, you know, he's found guilty for those. The Charles Manson murders also kicked off an entire, like, cultural social panic around like satanism as well as just counterculture in general so as much as people are like you know having a sort of unprecedented level of distrust for the government uh in the midst of the nixon administration they're also mistrustful of like young hippies and counterculturalists who had previously seemed peaceful and now uh you know there's like a lot of just general distrust and and uh kind of rampant hatred in america towards you know people on all sides of all sort of different social spectrums absolutely and like couple that with the increase in technology uh we're having people losing jobs left and right you know to assembly lines to work overseas we've uh We've got, um, you know, these big companies that are popping up, right? So the early 1970s is when Starbucks was invented. You know, we've got the invention of FedEx. But we've also got, like, Greenpeace, right? So we're also having this kind of movement of environmentalism taking precedence. You know, so Earth Day was invented. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our population is increasing. So we've reached 4 billion Uh, people worldwide you know we have so much more technology right with our first generation of video games kicking off so pong was released we've got the apollo moon (laughs) landing you know which was broadcast all over tv the cn tower is under construction in toronto you know walt disney world just opened in orlando florida and cn tower is better if i had to pick one of the two it's the cn tower (laughs) better than all of disney world (laughs) Better than Disney, eh? Yeah. Actually, better yeah. than all of Florida. Suck it, Florida. Yeah, Florida sucks, man. There, <laughs> there was something about them, like, banning a Jonathan Van Ness kids book or, like, one of their school districts is, so screw well, that, That's the man. worst thing they've ever done down there, I'm sure. Yes. Silly, <laughs> silly Florida. Uh. Them and their alligators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we've got, yeah, NPR has, you know, put out its first broadcast. Uh, we've also got, Mm -hmm. um, like, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, A Clockwork Orange, The Godfather, and Charlotte's Web have hit theaters. And the thing, uh, that I found interesting looking this up was that, uh, so Genie who anyone from, like, you know, taking your Psych 101 class will probably know of, Jeannie was Mm -hmm. taken in by social workers. She was this girl that was kept in complete isolation from any human contact for the first couple years of her life until she was, like, maybe six or seven. 
Um, and it was a psychology experiment. And so we have coming from this um, the realization that psychology and psychiatry are super fucked up, which also goes with uh, homosexuality was just removed from the DSM too. Yay! <laughs> I mean, hand in hand with Jeannie, what you're talking about, where we're starting to realize that, like, yeah, ethics need to start being performed in, like, social sciences. Uh, the Stanford Prison Experiment was in August of 1971 as well. So, like, sort oh, of a lot shit. of different famous cases, yeah, <laughs> of, like, things that you shouldn't do to people in the name of social science are, uh, you know, happening in this era. Um Definitely a time of, of widespread social upheav- upheaval, uh, rapid social change, which I think also sort of reflects what we're going through right now. So it's it's maybe a time that like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a lot in hindsight, but also it's sort of um, it's sort of, sort of reminiscent of what we're going through right now. Absolutely. I think as our societies advance, you know, and we are building and building and building there's this deterioration of uh social norms and morals right Mm -hmm. so we kind of like we like to like push you know the extent of what is civilization and when when we push it it breaks uh and we definitely see that manifesting in the texas chainsaw massacre with how you know the evolution of society uh what is it to to make an omelet you gotta break eggs oh yeah uh, yeah this this movie is all about those discarded (laughs) eggshells to make a society (laughs) to make a society you have to chainsaw a few hippies (laughs) exactly and i I've got I've got a I've got a big appreciation for this movie because like like our other, you know, kind of like favorite movies, like this this was like very indie stuff at the time, you know. Mm. This this was like low budget. So our like our crew was fucking filming 7 days a week for like 12 to 13 hours a day, you know. Mm-hmm. It was very inhospitable working conditions, so they would be like in 100 degree heat you know fahrenheit and like you know the cast is like unhappy and sweating and stuff and the director was like i i you know it took a few years for the cast to forgive me for putting them through this and it's like oh shit so really bad working conditions cool 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 oh wow all right let's get into a summary of the movie i've done it this time usually shannon writes the summary but i decided to take a whirl at it um, thank you, and thank so, you, Jake. <laughs> no problem. So we're gonna go through the just yeah, sort of recap of the movie. You've been here before, um, and I'll begin. Uh, so we open on a Star Wars esque wall of text, I would call it, telling us that the events that we're about to see are an account of a tragedy that befell five youths, namely Sally Hardesty and her. Uh, invalid brother franklin uh and that these events led to the unearthing of one of the most brutal crimes in the annals of american history during the opening credits we see uh, flashbulb camera photos of rotting body parts teeth hands etc 
Yes, the movie begins in earnest with a radio news report, letting us know that in this here county of Muerto, Texas, grave robbing is our top story. We are treated to a visual of one of the corpses in the report, which has been made into a monument on top of a gravestone. Additionally, there has been an explosion at a Texaco facility, killing three workers. There was a cholera epidemic outbreaking in San Francisco. There's been a murder-suicide in Houston. A building has collapsed in Atlanta. A couple in Indiana has been butchered. And other tragedies of a violent nature. We then meet our ragtag group of youths in a van. Yeah, sort of reminiscent of the uh, the mystery machine here. We've got a bunch of like sort of young <laughs> counterculturalists traveling to get, traveling together. There's uh, Sally Hardesty, her brother Franklin, who is paraplegic and uses a wheelchair. There's also Sally's friends, Kirk, Pam, and Jerry. They're heading to the cemetery where Grandpa Hardesty is buried to see if his grave is one of the ones that has been desecrated. They learn that that particular grave is just fine, but not before one of the locals informs Franklin that this county has a mean streak. Things happen here about that they don't tell about, is what he says. (laughs) Okay, that old man sitting in a tire, drinking a (laughs) bottle of beer, and like lolling around? Iconic. Oh, that's that's my future right there. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. Just an old man talking. Just an old man talking. Oh, I I don't know what I'm saying. We're going to be graveyard grandpas where are we gonna find two tires shannon (laughs) (laughs) uh out outside an automotive shop in this economy come on (laughs) get real (laughs) tires gonna cost gonna run you 1.2 mil in the gta come on now (laughs) such an expensive home my god (laughs) So, with that unpleasant business out of the way, the gang decides to go visit the old Hardesty homestead, where Sally and Franklin spent some time as kids. On the way, they drive past a slaughterhouse, which smells pretty fucking rank, but Franklin (laughs) bides the time by expounding on his fascination with killing techniques, and whether the bolt or the sledgehammer is the best method— Fortunately, or unfortunately, the gang then picks up a hitchhiker who shares Franklin's fascination along with his love for knives. Yeah, their friendship is short-lived, though, since the hitchhiker turns out to be sort of weird. He takes Franklin's picture and tries to sell it to him, and when that doesn't work out, he blows up the picture, cuts himself, cuts Franklin, and upon being kicked out of the van, smears his blood on the door panel. Nice one. Uh, Pam's got a potential explanation for the craziness going on these days, though. Mercury happens to be in retrograde. So, you know, that's sort of... <laughs> and, and... No, it's Saturn! Oh, you're I right. Swear. Sorry. I just... Mercury in retrograde is, like, the saying. You're No, you're totally that's right. It is... Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah Mercury's in microbraids. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, you're right. My, my mistake. Is, Saturn is a maleficent planet it's it's evil so this is a, a time of super evil obviously the the amount of words that she was mispronouncing in her like uh in her screed about astrology too like i think she said malfeasance or maleficence or something like that it was oh yeah, yeah she didn't she didn't know what she was talking about any more than i did 
just like every single crystal loving astrology <laughs> person today we we don't know what we're saying like bitch it's about stars and planets so <clears throat> they stop at a roadside gas station but find that this gas station doesn't have any gas they may have to wait till tomorrow to refuel fortunately the place does have some pretty good barbecue for sale the shopkeeper also advises against going to visit the old Hardesty homestead, but our intrepid crew decides to venture on anyway. Yeah, so after they've picked up, you know, some barbecue and a couple of cans of Coke uh, from mm. the gas station, they <laughs> arrive to find a rundown estate at the Hardesty Mansion. Dirt floors, broken windows, rat nests on the floor. Uh, Sally, Pam, Kirk, and Jerry leave Franklin by the van while they go explore uh, because they don't make rundown old mansions with real wheel- wheelchair ramps these days, um, which, you know, Franklin doesn't appreciate. Eventually, Kirk and Pam decide to go down to the nearby watering hole to swim, uh, but they are distracted by the sound of a nearby motor. They find a neighboring homestead with a gas generator running and decide that it would be reasonable to borrow some gas. Uh, However, the neighbors are unfortunately rather unfriendly. Kirk knocks on the door and ventures into the house after hearing what sounds like a pig squealing in the basement. He encounters a large dude in a butcher's apron and a mask made of flesh who bonks him. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Not who hits him, but who bonks him with a sledgehammer and drags him. (laughs) Bang, bang, Maxwell's silver hammer came down upon his head. <laughs> uh, drags him away. Yeah. After some time, Pam goes into the house looking for Kirk and stumbles upon a living room littered with bones, corpse parts, and furniture made of human and animal remains. The killer eventually finds her, drags her, I think, into the back room, not into the basement. Oh, but just, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, drags her into the other room and hangs her on a meat hook. Uh, before going to work on Kirk with a chainsaw while Pam watches. Uh, Back at the Hardesty house, the sun is going down, so Jerry decides to go looking for Pam and Kirk. He finds the same house with the same front door, the same basement, uh, or back room if you prefer, the same leather-faced killer, and the same sledgehammer. Jerry is, unfortunately, no more. He got bonked, too. Everyone's getting a bonk. (laughs) Night falls at the Hardesty house, so Sally and Franklin go looking for their friends in the woods, in the night, in the dark. Franklin is immediately chainsawed by Leatherface, and Sally runs off into the night. Nice haunting reference. Very well done. Thank you. Uh, Sally runs to the nearest house for help, and that house unfortunately happens to be the one decked out with furniture made of dead people. The very (laughs) same house, in fact. She runs upstairs where she finds an old couple taxidermied in their easy chairs. She jumps out a window to escape the advancing killer and continues to search for help. Mm. She she eventually makes it back to the same roadside gas station where the shopkeep from earlier tries to calm her down and manhandles the absolute shit out of her in the process. Uh, He Mm. tells her that there's no phone here and they'll have to drive to town to call the cops. He goes outside and leaves the door open. Sally waits next to the grill where they make the barbecue and takes in her surroundings. Hey, what's that fleshy mass on the grill? No time to worry about that. (laughs) Because the shopkeep is back with the truck 
a burlap sack and rope. Yeah, he's not to be trusted. He bonks her with a broom, ties her up, and takes her (laughs) back to the homestead, stopping to pick up a very familiar hitchhiker on the way. Yep, he was part of this too, and indeed is Leatherface, the killer's brother. Mm -hmm. They bring Sally inside for family dinner, which is you know, probably made of Sally's friends, Mm. and bring down the old man from upstairs to join them as well. It turns out he's alive, apparently, um, Mm. as evidenced by the fact that he's able to suck blood from the cut they make in Sally's hand. Mm. Grandpa was celebrated in his day as the best killer at the slaughterhouse, and the family of cannibals went want to see him work his magic again and decide to let old Grandpa have a whack, though he's not able to hold his own hammer, and he drops it a whole lot, and the whole thing is kind of embarrassing. Uh, Sally struggles free in the fracas and escapes by jumping out a window for the second time in this movie. You... Go, Sally! Yeah, girl! (laughs) So the sun is now coming up. The hitchhiker follows Sally to the road and stabs her, but is hit by a passing transport truck. The truck driver helps Sally out, hits Leatherface with a wrench, which causes him to drop his chainsaw and maim himself, and so he cuts his leg. And Sally hops in the bed of a passing pickup truck. The truck driver runs off, and Leatherface is left swinging his chainsaw in an impotent frenzy as the sun rises over the fields and that is the end of the movie which to me was kind of shocking i was like there was no i don't know i'm used to like the final girl you know like getting her revenge avenging her friends unleashing all of her fury on the the angel of death that has come for her and her ill-fated friends but now she just kind of rides off in a truck and he's just kind of swinging his chainsaw in the sunlight yeah, I was I was actually kind of um, surprised that Sally survived this mm. because like this this movie came out before Halloween and like Halloween Jamie Lee Curtis like I she's like the OG final girl right <laughs> yeah I I yeah I mean like this was sort of like we, we'll talk about this later but this movie's sort of credited with like kicking off the golden age of slashers. Um, so it's responsible for like a lot of tropes. Um, but also there was like sort of Italian B movies and stuff that were like, maybe they were like sort of vendetta movies that were sort of slashers before slashers. So, uh, it's hard to say, I I'd say maybe Sally Hardesty is your best bet as a final girl, but I haven't seen any of those like Italian movies that sort of like the exploitation era, um, really Mm. took their inspiration from. I also thought the truck driver made a bad move when he hit Leatherface with a wrench because, one of the golden rules of slasher movies is that if you maim the killer, you have to kill the killer because just maiming them gives them a limp, which doesn't make them any slower, but makes them scarier. So, I mean, it's a it's a bad way to go if you want to live to the end of the movie. This this is true. We saw that in Killer Unicorn. Okay, like <laughs> Danny yeah. could have survived, but no, no, no. Madame Mortimer went for it. She double tapped. Always double tap. Okay. <laughs> facts now who wants a cigarette and a bump (laughs) so uh this movie uh claimed to be based on a true story um and it claimed to be like telling the events of that true story but of Mm. course it was not based on a true story um but it was inspired 
by True Stories. So, number one, it was inspired by the murders of Ed Gein, the butcher of Plainfield. He was a pretty prolific grave robber in the 1950s and murdered at least two people. And he he's the one who created furniture pieces from human remains, like, you know, a lampshade made from a human face. And he made masks out of people's face skin, He, you know, which obviously inspired uh, Leatherface, you know, wearing the people's faces as masks. Uh, he also created, like, a corset from a skin torso of a woman, leggings from leg skin, you know. <laughs> We're selling lemonade. Mm. Is that lemonade made with real lemons? Oh, is your Girl Scout cookies made out of real Girl Scouts? Are your leggings made out of real legs? Fuck yes, they are. <laughs> Dear God. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I regret saying that. Um, I'm not editing and... it out. <laughs> good. Good. Um, yeah. But Ed, uh, Ed Gein made this kind of woman suit uh, purportedly because he wanted to become his mother uh, when wearing them and literally wanted to step into her skin. Mm. So Ed Gein's uh, butchering uh, also inspired the film Psycho and The Silence of the Lamb, and the books that came before the films, of course. Um, Jake, as you were saying, what what did Leatherface define for our, like, ho- developing horror genre? Yeah, I mean, like, so this was the, like, one of the most commercially successful movies of its time in the horror genre. It was actually the most commercially successful since The Exorcist, which did just come out the year before, so, I mean, like, treat that with a, gain, with a grain of salt, but... Still, like, Mm. for the time, horror was still sort of, yeah, burgeoning, I would say. Um, And a lot of people sort of now consider slashers to be, like, the... I don't know. Like, you say horror, and I think a lot of people go right to Friday the 13th and Halloween. Um, Those movies take a lot from this movie. The the idea of, like, sort of the massive, silent, faceless murderer uh, who doesn't have a personality, who doesn't really speak. Um, Also, like using ordinary conventional tools like a chainsaw um, as murder weapons. And yeah, as I said, it preceded the golden age of slashers. So um, 1978 to 1984 is defined as the golden age of slashers, which is a pretty short window. Um, But I mean, for reference, this movie came out in 1974. Halloween came out in 1978. Friday the 13th came out in 1980. And Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984. Um, so this movie was huge. It has a, like, I think the the impact that this movie had on just horror movies in general kind of can't be overstated. Yeah, it's very creative and innovative and just horrific without, without showing too much carnage on the screen. A lot of people, um, compare the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to a Greek tragedy, because most of the death and action doesn't actually happen on screen. It's just, like, kind of implied. And one of the things that I think works really well about the formula of horror that this movie kind of uh, created, or you could say popularized, is, like, humans are more or less apex predators, right? Like, as if you consider Mm -hmm. us in a natural setting. And we're also persistence hunters, Meaning that we're not like we're not like pumas or lions or something, right? Where we're probably gonna like chase something down because we're faster than it and then take it down. Being persistence hunters means like we'll we'll just outwalk you. We will sort of follow and 
be there behind you and when you think you've gotten away we're just kind of kind of still going to be following and so what we've done with the slasher genre is created an apex predator for ourselves that is a persistence hunter right it is doing the same thing um and this is this is sort of mimics i think like if you subscribe to the belief that you know there is such a thing as like a human existence in nature which is up in the air certainly um but i I don't know i think it connects us to a real primal place of like oh god something bigger than me is following and i do not know at what point it will stop (laughs) oh shit yeah and and leatherface is just a big dude but then you go into like halloween and friday the 13th and they kind of become supernatural at some point later on right like they become like struck by lightning and then they're they're an even bigger stronger dude who's got like super strength and then can go to space or whatever so (laughs) yeah it's like it it makes sense as to why it just works as a an instrument of fear this type of movie yeah and i i really i really do kind of enjoy the like uh super monster kind of slasher um apex predator idea because it it gives us this kind of um this form on which to project our like fears and feelings about everything that's going on in the world right you know at this time there were these like big high profile serial killers like out in society right like real actual people who were committing these atrocities and Mm. so you know instead of you know putting all that fear on our neighbors which i mean there was a certain distrust at this time there still is but it you know having the image of leatherface really gives people like a specific monster to put that fear on um so that at least instead of suspecting everyone that's around them of you know perhaps being a serial killer they can they can imagine a real kind of boogeyman or like monster under their bed right Mm. and you know leatherface really you know like uh reflects you know how people are feeling about like the government at this time right you know he becomes like a target for all like the distaste for the vietnam war and watergate like he becomes that kind of entity that takes on all of these kind of like really bad emotions and brings them to life yeah and that's one of the things i love about horror and this is why i really like this what you've what you've done here with situating us in uh where in history this fits in because that happens so often with horror movies right or or horror narratives novels whatever um that you know like the 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 thing that we're afraid of really imitates something that is actually happening to us in the world but gives us sort of a healthier outlet for it um, like this time was the, the advent of stranger danger too, right? Like you, you probably, people of our generation probably grew up hearing their grandparents talk about how like, oh, you used to know your neighbors down the street and that's old man Willikers and he's works down at the co-op and whatever. Like you, you would know your neighbors. The, the world was a small town and that's probably, you know, some level of like rose, rose colored glasses looking back on history, but um it it was a different era you know people there was a different idea of what polite society was how how Mm -hmm. much more intertwined in each other's lives the community was um and you know a lot of that ended with with the ted bundy era unfortunately 
at the same time, now you can't, like, beat other people's kids for, like, being too loud on the sidewalk. So maybe there was, like, some give and take with that time, you know? Maybe there's, like, some some positives yeah. that came out of that as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We have this uh, privatization of the home, right? And... Uh, you were going to say privatization of beating kids. I was like, oh, no, shit. <laughs> Where are you going with this take? <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean that too. Like, not, <laughs> not gonna lie. I mean, <laughs> I mean, as long as it's behind closed doors. No, and, uh, move on. Speaking of behind closed doors. Um, yeah. So, as I mentioned in our kind of update <laughs> of time, we start to have the a shift in how people are seeing homosexuality and queerness right we are having our first pride parades you know homosexuality is no longer um a diagnosable mental illness Mm. although transvestism still is whatever whatever um (laughs) and you know we've had stonewall but queerness was definitely still a very stigmatized thing a very much a you know you don't talk about you know uh uncle stefan and the fact that he you know lives with his roommate uh mm-hmm. damon uh, you know like oh. y- you never talk <laughs> about very it, specific me. names Sheridan. yeah i i picked them from the vampire diaries <laughs> oh god damn you <laughs> yeah they're they're brothers so okay. uh they're quote-unquote brothers um okay. you know this this was a time when people didn't really talk about uh queerness and homosexuality they kind of very much swept under the rug you know the kind of like family shame feeling um so i know (laughs) i know this wasn't like the most overt uh overtly like gay or queer uh film but we do get some queerness from leatherface Mm. um which i was very excited about um and we get so Leatherface wears two different faces uh, during the movie. When we first meet him, he's wearing, um, you know, a kind of like a, a man's face. Um, and later at the dinner scene, Leatherface is wearing a woman's face. And like honestly, I think I think Leatherface is doing drag in general, mm-hmm. right? You know, when we first meet him, he's wearing a tie with his butcher's apron later he's wearing like you know a full-on like power suit uh when he's dressed <laughs> up as a lady uh-huh um i th- like you know leatherface is this kind of like um child in a massive body right and so it looks like he's trying to like imitate being an adult and he's really okay maybe it's less so drag and more like a child playing dress up yeah. But when he is at the dinner table, um, you know, done up in his uh, woman mask, you know, he's clearly put makeup on her face. Um, he's he's the representation of the like bourgeoisie wife at this kind of parody dinner of a nuclear family. Yeah. And I... yeah, go for it. Well, yeah, and that dinner scene was like 
it is like yeah you say the parody of the nuclear family like if anything i think that's like you could pick that frame and it's almost like it works as a painting on its own of like sort of uh, it, it like it is a commentary on itself that single frame right of like the family gathered around the dinner table but the, they're all cannibals they're eating humans and one of them is like wearing someone else's face and I think it reflects like what we're talking about, the rapid change in social mores and social values and norms. And, you know, this idea of the idyllic life that we're all supposed to have set up for ourselves is crumbling around us. And yet people are still performing it in bastardized versions, uh, more, more foul than the human imagination can even muster. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I found the dinner scene quite striking because it it was it was it was normal right you know it was like you know sending hitchhiker upstairs oh go get your grandfather for dinner yeah you know the dad is fixing food you know leatherface sets the table he brings out the food you know they're sitting down together they have like regular family squabbles mm -hmm. you know uh, the dad is, you know, at at one point he's like uh, checking on Leatherface. He's like, "Oh, now, now you did your chores, right? You d you didn't let any of them get away, right? You you killed all of them." And Leatherface is like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." I, you know, like patting the freezer, like, "Yeah, don't worry, I put them away in the freezer. Like, all right. the bodies will be fine, you know. Mm -hmm. Don't worry." Um, but then you know goes right to like scolding. Leatherface about destroying the front door. You know, he's he's not upset about Leatherface murdering people. No, no, no. <laughs> but he's he's upset about him chainsawing the front door down. You know, but also like, and... come on, yeah, understandable. <laughs> like, don't chainsaw the front door, guy. Come on. <laughs> like Leather Leatherface has a thing with doors. Okay, he's he's not very good at doors. He's not very good with boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> But it, I, it it really is like a perversion of the yeah as you said the ideal family life at that time where like they're keeping up these appearances of sitting down to dinner you know even though they have Sally tied to a chair. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay, I can't. I couldn't stop laughing because the chair, its armrests are actual Our hand hands. arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like. Good job, set design. Good job. That is hilarious. Like, this movie is poking fun at itself, right? And yeah. Like... It, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but then at the same time, I did think this was one of the scenes where the movie short, sort of, like, showed its... I, I don't want to say incompetence, but there was, like... This was a moment where I was like, this scene went on too long. Altogether too long. Yeah. I, like, the family is squabbling. They are yelling at each other. They have said, like, four times that the dad is, oh, he's nothing. He's just the cook. And Sally is screaming away. And, like, I find this with maybe a lot of movies of this era where I'm like, I get, move on. I get it. She's tied to a chair. She is screaming. We have watched her moaning and writhing in pain for 20 minutes. Move on. Mm. <laughs> I want to I know what happens next in this story. Tell me a story. Stop showing me Sally screaming. I'm over. <laughs> okay. Yeah. M mood. Mood. Now, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, speaking of, um, do you think 
Leatherface was wearing his mother's face? Or do you think it was just like a random lady? I do because I believe that Ed Gein or Gein or whatever had his mother's body and like had made a shrine to her. I think I read that somewhere. Again, I could be wrong because I also claimed that this movie was based on a true story, which it's not. But (laughs) I think that like one of the serial killers who inspired this movie had like a shrine to his mother's corpse, which again also served as inspiration for Jason Voorhees. Um, But for that reason, I think that it was his mother's face. Okay. Yeah. I think so too. I, Yeah. yeah, I like, I definitely think so. When I watched it, the first time I was like, oh, okay, just a random lady. But then I was like, wait, but he didn't, he didn't cut off Pam's face. He, mm. he didn't look like he was going to cut off Sally's face. <laughs> well, he's Maybe already he got a like... lady face. He doesn't need it. That, that one was perfectly good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, so I was like, okay. And then, um, so I went ahead and I watched the 2022 movie like Mm. texas chainsaw movie it's on netflix oh my god go watch it correct Um, me if i'm wrong that one's a direct sequel to this one yes 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 it is it's not a remake or a it's not a sequel to any of the other remakes um it is directly yeah yeah it is directly after this one like you know a couple a couple dozen maybe maybe like 40 or 50 years later or something. Okay. Um, and it actually has Sally in it. It really does. Oh, no way. Cool. Um, yeah. So, like, um, after watching that one, like, it definitely confirmed for me that, like, Leatherface is very, like, sentimental toward his maternal figures. Because in that one, the, like, lady who's taking care of him and has, like, adopted him, when she dies, he cuts off her face and wears it. Oh. Um, yeah, so I definitely think it's like um like a sentimental thing for Leatherface. And like Okay. Yeah. Yeah, cuz like I don't think he really cares about the killing of like random people. Like it's, you know, um Hitchhiker mentions that like Leatherface was employed, you know, at the slaughterhouse as a killer. Mm. Um I wonder what they call professional slaughterhouse killer people. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, but, so, like, killing to him is probably pretty normalized, right? You know, and he's desensitized to it, so it's not like he's killing these people maliciously, right? But even his dad is saying, oh, you know, you you made sure that none of the youths got away. So Leatherface is just being, like, used as a tool in this sense and as a worker, you know, he, he doesn't have any personal stakes in killing these people, but he he definitely has a personal stake in this lady face. <laughs> uh, I looked it up. Butcher. Uh, they're just called butchers. Oh, butchers. Okay, yeah. excellent. I love that. <laughs> um, and also, okay, to add to our uh, queer reading of this, we do... Thank you, Pam. Have Saturn in retrograde. And Saturn in retrograde is all about karma Mm. um, as time blends together. Uh, So it's a time of limitation, restriction, anxiety, and fear. And Saturn retrograde challenges your duties and responsibilities as they relate to your dependence and your career. And I found this 
uh, pretty apt, uh, considering Texas Chainsaw does focus on dependence and the sibling relationships and the Sawyer family's career. And perhaps uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a lesson in karma, uh, because Sally and Franklin's family allows their grandfather's home to fall into disrepair and ends up being the victims of the Sawyers, who revere their grandfather and specifically bring in victims to keep him alive with fresh blood. So we have a family who doesn't really respect their grandfather, but, you know, just respects him enough to check that his, you know, gravesite is undisturbed. Whereas <laughs> we have this other family who has preserved their grandfather, like, to, like, he's supposed to be, like, 120-something years old. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Well, and I mean, that that takes us right along into, like, we also wanted to just discuss the role of masculinity in this movie and, and like, impotence. These three men, oh, they, yeah. they lived together. They were all slaughterhouse workers or butchers, as they're called, in, you know, in the biz. Um, but they they all had this sort of proud industry where they were hardworking, you know, men. Or, they were uh, blue-collar, you know, salt-of-the-earth type folks. And now they've been displaced by technological advancements, and now it's all the the uh, the bolt gun way of killing rather than the sledgehammer. And there's no pride in that. They we we learn that from the hitchhiker. Um, so the and like we see that with like the way that they talk to each other. Like the father, the, the hitchhiker says like, "Oh, he's just a cook. He's not a killer. We do all the work. He just does the cooking." Um, so so they sort of work to emasculize each other in this way. Emasculate, emasculize. Uh, <laughs> emasculate. Anyway, emasculate. They, yeah, I think yeah, so. They they work to sort of bring each other down by pointing out that they're not doing the work that their family has done for presumably generations, but really none of them are except for on you know these hapless yuppies who come through town. Mm-hmm. And like they they've lost their stake. Yeah, as like these hardworking men, but you know, still cling to the past and they like cling to this glorified version of grandpa for his like past expertise in killing, uh, particularly in his efficiency, you know, mm. he could, and they rhyme off this stat of, Oh, he could, he could kill 60 cattle in five minutes with a sledgehammer, you know, only took one good hit. Oh, he was, <laughs> He was so efficient. He was the best killer there ever was. My favorite and is yet... they said he could have gone even faster if the other workers could have pulled the beeves out of the way faster, which just the word beeves sent me. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny or if that's like, like you know, the local terminology, but that, that made me laugh. The word beeves got a chuckle out of me. I, I, well, it's, it's beefs, right? He fully said beeves, B-E-E-V-E-S. Oh. <laughs> and that was what my subtitle said, too. Oh, oh, okay, Ma amazing. I'm, I'm wrong. Wow. Beeves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How many Justin Biebs, uh could there be? Hmm. Mm, we're all believe beave leavers. Oh, God. We're all be beavers. We're I'm all not, beavers at the end of the day. I'm not cutting any of this out. This is all gold. <laughs> so, okay, okay. So, I I love... I, I Okay, okay. The, the dinner yeah. scene may have gone on too long, but yeah. I did 
love, like, I loved when they were like, all right, let's just, just kill her, get it, get it over with. And they're like, oh, let's, let's give grandpa a whack at her. You know, come on, grandpa, you can do it. You can do it. And grandpa, like being glorified for his expertise in killing, like now, like he's, he's in a wheelchair. He is super decrepit, you know, he's yeah. totally infantilized by this point right you know as like earlier he was suckling on sally's finger to get her blood and like to revive him and now he he can't even hold a hammer and leatherface is like you know keeps putting the hammer back in his hand trying to like help him bludgeon sally um and like i i was hysterical watching this scene because i was like wow this is like the most sad sad hyper masculine wannabe like you know the the guys in the family it like it it read the scene read to me like they were trying to help grandpa fuck sally and like really persisting even as he continues to fail to like preserve grandpa's virility and their image of him as like this glorious patriarch and like they're like they are clinging to this legacy of grandpa's station as like a man and like a butcher and a killer and like fail to recognize like how deteriorated he's become how deteriorated their careers have become their town their house and like they are stuck like clinging to this past image desperately and it's it's ridiculous yeah, well, and then I thought that, like, what I thought was a nice touch then was the hitchhiker is, which, by the way, we never learn his name. Like, we don't learn these characters' real names at all. Um, but the hitchhiker's killed by a semi-truck on the highway right outside their house. So there's, like, a massive highway going by. She runs out into the street. And Sally runs out into the street, that is. And, yeah, like, a 18-wheeler runs him over. So to me, that was, like... I might be reading too far into this, but to me that was like reminiscent of small towns drying up because interstate highways bypass them. Um, The Mm. best example I can think of is Radiator Springs from the Cars movies. Um, But, you know, an interstate opens up and uh, business dries up, right? Like people don't come through this town anymore when they're on their way to a a bigger commercial center. So businesses just close up because they don't have money coming through anymore. And that's all because of interstate highways this guy gets flattened by an 18 wheeler. I thought that was, that was interesting. And also their victims are like, I mentioned this earlier, but the victims are young counterculturalists. So this is Mm. the old world taking revenge on the new world. And this is the confluence of these varying, uh, ideas of reality and social norms, right? This is the old world and the new world fundamentally not understanding each other. Um, and a way that I thought that that was really interesting, like how representative, they were of the younger generation was this interest in uh, astrology because the old world, right? Like the, the nuclear family had Christianity and they just had, we are all Christians. We are all straight. Uh, we all live in a perfect family with a dad and a mom, a sister and a brother and, you know, serve up meat at the family table. And then once life starts getting more complicated, people start abandoning these old ideals. They start abandoning religion. They start looking for meaning in other places, such as astrology, such as cults. Cults were huge in this time because of that. Um, And then people start becoming afraid of what else counterculture is going to bring, like Satanism. 
Um, so in all these ways, right, the, the old world clinging to the past, the new world searching for new meaning, they come together and it, it results in this, this tragedy, um, which I, I love it. I mean, we've said it, but I, I love it. <laughs> it's, I think it's really well yeah. done that way. I, I kind of like, I think it's so ironic because like, you know, this is, this is a farm area, you know, like they clearly live on a farm and like farmers yes they 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 abide by their good christian values but like they also abide by the farmer's almanac right like they're like their way Mm. of life is controlled by the seasons which very much in my mind like parallels astrology so i i don't i find it kind of like funny that Mm. it's like there's an an, an old world traditional way of like following the seasons and like universe and then there's this like new wave yeah. way of following the universe so interesting um and just like to cap off our brief our discussion of masculinity i wanted to just briefly touch on the amount of male gaze in this movie um oh god <laughs> holy shit like so i mentioned specifically when they went to the gas station and got a couple of cans of coke like, there's a scene where Pam and Sally are just getting a Coke out of the vending machine. And, like, the camera is shot, like, it is shooting their butts from, like, below while they're at the Coke machine. Like, it is down on the ground looking up at their butts while they're getting a can of Coke. And I'm like, what? why? Why was this in here? This added nothing. It was just that like Pam was wearing some pretty short shorts and they wanted to <laughs> call our attention to it, which it oh, was yeah. so unnecessary. Um, and when we were situating this all within history, I looked up like where male gaze theory came from. And it comes specifically like it was popularized in an essay uh, by Laura Mulvey called virtual uh, visual pleasure and narrative cinema, which was written in 1973 and published in 1975. So well, like, obviously we can't say that this movie specifically inspired, like, that as a, a topic of conversation, but, it, like, it is this era. Like, it is it is this wow. time and place in movies that is making women be like, hey, <laughs> like, chill. <laughs> chill. Why, why are you making killing women so sexual? Like, yeah. why, why are you... Like, um, I'd say, like, Pam's... Uh, it's not even her death, but it's her torture that mm. is, like, the, the the worst, you know? She's hung on a, a fucking meat hook. Yeah. And, like, we watch her as she watches her boyfriend get butchered. Yep. Right? And with Sally tied to the chair, I I was actually kind of surprised on the male gaze for that one, I thought they would focus, like, yes, they focus a lot on, like, her screams and, you know, how she's, like, being tortured, but there's a lot of focus on her eyes. Yes. And I th- I thought that was really interesting. Like, I don't know, maybe that's part of the male gaze of wanting to, like, see the fear in their eyes and stuff, but I'm... It, it, it humanized her. It did. It's it's also not like the movie was reticent with, I would say, sexualizing her. Like, because, yeah. I mean, she's got the classic final girl thing of, like, her clothes get all tattered up as she's running away from the killer. So the longer you go on into the movie, kind of, like, the more exposed she is. Yeah. Though, apparently, Pam's costume, like, the short shorts and the backless shirt, was the most comfortable costume of 
all of the actors because they were working in such hot weather. I don't doubt that at all. Yeah, that that adds up. (laughs) Oh, man. So with uh, talking about our male gaze and women being treated like meat, Mm. we have... um, Literally. uh, Literally, (laughs) yeah. We have one of the main commentaries of this movie that, like, pops up in discussions and Toby Hooper, like, confirms this. Like, this movie is ostensibly about meat. Like, it is all about meat. Mm. Um, the the Hardesties, so Sally and Franklin's family, are a cattle family. Um, and the Sawyers are a slaughter or butcher family. Right, so Sally and Franklin's grandfather would have actually have been selling cattle to the slaughterhouse where Leatherface's grandpa worked. So the Hardesties literally, in you know the previous two generations, had supplied the like grandpa with meat to slaughter, and I think it's kind of like beautiful poetics that. Now the legacy of their grandfathers is passed on to the grandchildren, but in the process, it's become perverted by industrial capitalism and work cuts. So instead of supplying cattle, uh, they are supplying youth uh, to become the meat for slaughter. Do you want me to keep going and talk about the... Yeah, so I lost your I lost your connection for a second there, so I was just I'm waiting to be sure. Sometimes I like lose you for a second and then you come back, so it's all good. Um, and this is the nice thing about the uh-huh. local recording is obviously we've got everything, so you know. Anyway, yes. um, but yeah, keep going. Okay, so this this movie also heightens that there are two different ways of slaughtering, which like is something I picked up like immediately in the movie, right as. Uh, the hitchhiker is picked up in the van and he's talking with Franklin about um, the new way of slaughtering, which is with the kind of like um, air gun, air gun thing. Yeah, the that, bolt like, gun. Yeah, the bolt gun um, versus using a sledgehammer. And this gets heightened, you know, with our comparison between sledgehammer and air gun, it becomes equivalent to hammer versus chainsaw, because Mm. we do see Leatherface use the hammer in the beginning uh, for his killings, and later we see the chainsaw. And I thought the chainsaw was a very, like, it was an ironic kind of beauty. I keep just yeah. This movie is beautiful. Like it's, it's fucked up. But it's beautiful <laughs> in a rather because, untraditional like, way. Yeah, like it's it's just so appropriate that he uses a chainsaw to kill them because the chainsaw is powered by gasoline. Yeah, gasoline is the like cause of the group strife. Gasoline is the reason they stay in the county. Gasoline is the reason that Kirk even goes to the Sawyer's farm in the first place, right? So gasoline becomes this trap, a lure, and eventually a, like, a killing machine. Mm-hmm. And so this, like, these counterculture kind of hippies who are probably, you know, anti-war, probably, like, uh, 
partially vegetarians like pam is definitely a fucking vegetarian <laughs> they're like neo-buddhists um, probably i just presumably yeah. <laughs> here yeah <laughs> and like you know they're like if they were around now, they would probably, like, be very much in, like, the energy-efficient, you know, movement and, like, anti-gas, like, big gas corporations. So to, like, see them killed by gasoline treated as meat, we're very much seeing um, how people become part of the industrial capitalism machine, right? And how they hmm. fuel it. And also, do you realize why the gas station is out of gasoline? Because uh, there was an explosion at the Texaco facility on the Texas-Louisiana border. Uh, Oh, I didn't make that connection. I assume. And I didn't uh, look, I didn't confirm that or anything, but I (gasps) I just assume that that's why there's maybe a shortage or something. Oh, shit. From the radio transmission at the beginning, if you don't remember, listeners. Shannon does. I know you get it. Oh, my God. Jake, you're a genius. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. <laughs> it's... seeing that supply chain interruption. And see, if we didn't have you, it would just be, uh, some chick died and it was because there was an explosion. Move on. And now, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> this is one thing you get to thank me for. Yes. Thank you, Jake. God bless your soul. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Oh my god. So, wow. Wow. Yeah, gas really fucked them all over. Mm. Though I I do... As it is to us now at the pumps every day, am I right? Oh, you're right. Ah, goddammit. We really are living in 1974, George Orwin. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, wait. (laughs) So, do you think... If there hadn't been that gas explosion, that the dad at the gas station would have lied to them and said he had no gas? Or do you think he would have served them gas? I think he would have served them gas because he also told them not to go to the Hardesty place. He was like, you don't want to go messing around up there. These girls, these girls don't want to go up there. So for whatever reason, he seemed like... He was genuinely trying to get them out of there before mm-hmm. they happened upon, you know, all of this unfortunate stuff. Um, but he, yeah, I think he would have let them go on their way. Yeah, like he, he's honestly a pretty complicated character because, you know, he's, he's, he admonishes Hitchhiker for digging up graves Mm-hmm. Yet there is... Well, no, for getting caught human... digging up graves. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry, Pops. I, I didn't get caught. Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, he he also, like, scolds him for, you know, leaving his brother alone at the house, you yeah. know? Um, he doesn't take pleasure in killing, but he's, you know, still like, I'll get it over with and, you know, make sure none of them get away. He also does take pleasure in, like, torturing, essentially, um, Sally. Oh, yeah. Because when he's got her tied up in the sack and they're on the drive back to the homestead, he's, like, poking over the broom and, like, chuckling to himself. So he does... Oh, yeah, he's having the time of his life. <laughs> like, the, the child, like, giggles out of this man while he's just, like, jabbing some girl with a broom was... <laughs> Kind of wild. Kind of one of the most chilling parts of the movie, if I'm totally honest. 
yeah, all while he's like, oh, don't worry, it's gonna be fine, you're gonna be alright, oh, don't worry, don't be like that, oh, you're fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, meanwhile, he's just giving her bonk after bonk, chuckling to himself. Yeah, like, driving her home, knowing she's going to be killed, like, yeah, okay, alright, um, go off. Tell me about head cheese before we move on to the next uh, topic. Ooh, yes! Okay, so... <laughs> Head Cheese was one of the original working titles oh. for this movie. And honestly, I I think they should have gone with Head Cheese. Yeah. Uh, because of the symbolism. Um, and like, so Jake, had, had you like ever heard of Head Cheese before this? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Oh, like my, really? yeah, no, my mom's family used to make Head Cheese and stuff. They were like, um, their family was like Mennonite, uh, background mm. so they 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 knew how to use a whole animal for sure oh dope yeah like uh my mom's my mom's family also used to make head cheese and like i i learned about it growing up because my mom she was like oh when i was living with your bobby in the downstairs freezer i knew certain like periods of time throughout the year not to go down there and became afraid of going in the basement because there would be a head in the freezer <laughs> and of, co- of course it was like a beef head you know not not like a people head but like mm. she was like it it's because she was making head cheese yeah and head cheese is um like they they take the head of the animal boil it down you know scrape off all the flesh and everything and it turns into this like congealed gelatin and stuff that you i guess add to food i don't i've never been clear on what i've never had it for the record also like it kind of like fell out of favor with my so my older brother once was like staying at my aunt's house like she was babysitting him or whatever and she was like Mm. i know a fun thing that i can do with the kid who is in my care today we can make head cheese together so she traumatized him for life um (laughs) and that and my mom was like livid and was like i can't believe you made head cheese with my like seven or eight year old son um, so head cheese isn't really a part of our family recipe book anymore. Um, wait, wow. yeah, I like, it's kind of funny cause my generation is the one that like no longer carries that practice anymore, even though this movie's like 50 years old. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's because we're wasteful, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we, we live in a trash society and I don't just mean that like, because <laughs> we're like hashtag we're trash, but like. We, we're so used to having garbage and throwing out things, you know, like getting rid of the entrails. But back in like, what, 1970, there still would have been this like big tension between the like old style, like uh, farmers, uh, you know, waste not, want not. Mm. Um, and the new kind of city living, right? This This clash between country and city. Um, where, you know, you make head cheese so that none of the animal goes to waste, right? Um, and we, we see this with the Sawyer family, that, like, nothing goes to waste, right? They eat, they use all the bones even to make furniture, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, <laughs> at the dinner, they've taken the roadkill armadillo from, like, we're showing it at the beginning of the movie, like, they cook it for dinner, serve it for dinner, um you know so like not even roadkill is going to waste and you know that even like highlights their poverty and you know this kind of like 
use the whole animal is you know like a what we would say is like a poverty mindset now but really it's just a sustainable mindset right to use every yeah. part of the animal possible and i like i i think head cheese is like really interesting because um of how they comment on the bodies being exhumed in the graveyard and how for some of the bodies it wouldn't be the entire body that was taken but just pieces mm. right sometimes just the hands feet the extremities or like the head and i thought that was really interesting because that contrasts how you know we only use certain parts of the animal today and hey they were only using certain parts of the human uh to make their pieces of art this by the way is why i've always defended like whenever you have hot dogs it's like oh man i could sure go for a hot dog and people are like don't you know what goes into those hot dogs that it's all like pigs buttholes and stuff i'm like yeah good well it's a good i'm glad I'm yeah. I'm proud to be you know what? No, I'm not gonna say that out loud. <laughs> but you get where I, you get where I was going with that sentence. I just would prefer not to say it out loud into a microphone, please and thank you. So You know what? Jake, we, we know you're bisexual. It's okay. There's no shame. And there's no shame. There's no shame in eating assholes. People are going to as- no assume shame. that I have some affection for cops that I don't if I finish the rest of that sentence. So I'm not going to I'm not going to you know, go there. I was I was watching uh the last season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and it was on like Boyle's family farm and they're like, yeah. "You know what? You're we eat we eat the pig from snout to anus. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um when you were talking about eating the roadkill and stuff, I was thinking about Dwight Schrute's family from The Office, right? Like ah. that's they're all they're always poking fun at the old world ways that they do things, but like also those ways of living where you talk about, yeah, using every part of the animal, like living off the land, that's like normal in any culture that lives on the land. Like like whether that's farmers, whether that's hunters, whether that's like native North Americans, like and not that I'm in any position to speak on like native culture or anything like that. But that's like a huge value that I hear over and over again is that like, it's, it's also part of respecting the animal, right? Like it's not, yes, I think we kind of city slicker type folks. And even though you and I are like country people, but not really, not like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> like not we're not, like we're not farm people. Um, we're small town people, but like, you know, sub, I would say city people, suburbanites, we're used to, like, going to the grocery store and buying our meat on a little styrofoam plate, and we just outsource the killing and and the butchering. Yeah. We don't think about where the meat comes from, but uh, truly, like, yeah, all of that stuff is happening. All of all of the, the murder that we just choose to not look at is, is happening. Um, and so, I don't know, unless you're vegan, that's something that you just gotta kind of accept or become vegan, whatever... <laughs> whatever yeah yeah wow i which okay this brings up a question that i had because it wasn't very clear Mm. shoot do like was the barbecue at the gas station human meat or was it beef i say 100 percent it was i like I don't know, because I saw when she was, like, uh, waiting for the shopkeep to come back, when she was, like, looking for help, I swear that looked like an, an ankle or something, like a like a foot oh. or, like, the ball of... I don't know. It was a fleshy mass. I think it was a foot. Um, 
But I, I, I say yes. A foot is just a chicken wing of a man. <laughs> no. <laughs> a wrist would be a chicken wing of a man. <laughs> my mistake. I didn't do well in my biology oh my courses. <laughs> Yeah, get it right. This is why this is why I went into sociology so I could talk about the <laughs> capitalist effects on farming, so I could actually talk about fucking chicken anatomy or whatever. Wow! Wow! Um, <laughs> okay. Now, uh, when I'm out here <laughs> acting this dumb, you might feel like you have to take responsibility for me in a way. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to segue. I take, <laughs> I, I, I take no responsibility. So, sibling responsibility. <laughs> uh, wow. So, th- thank you for that segue. Beautifully, be- beautifully yeah. done. Shot um, it down out of the air. Yeah. Like a chicken. So one of. <laughs> wow. Um. One one of the things that really popped out to me when I was watching Texas Chainsaw was um, this theme of not only family, but the theme of uh, siblings specifically. Mm. Um, and this also, I was actually happy to see this did carry through to the 2022 movie where the main duo was a pair of sibling sisters. Hmm. Um, so we have Sally and Franklin, right? And Sally is responsible for Franklin, right? She kind of drags him around out on this outing, like, um, you know, like, oh, it'll be fun, Franklin. Like, come along. We're going to visit Grandpa's grave. Um, and we get to see these kind of beautiful... Wow, beautiful. We get to see these very, like, (laughs) authentic, right, moments between Sally and Franklin where, you know, they're bickering at each other, but they're still, like, staying close. You know, uh, Sally clearly isn't very happy with Franklin. Uh, Franklin suggests, you know, leaving behind the other three and driving away to safety, right? But Franklin, I... Like, I guess this comes from, like, Franklin is used to being left behind. Yeah. Right? He's he's in a wheelchair. He is not in an accessible world. You know, their van is only, like, hodgepodge accessible with two kind of, like, uh, planks yeah. that they have to put down. Um, I was nervous you know, every he... time he got out of the van and into the van, like, that he was just going to face plant. Right? Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. Every single time. Like... Oh, to be Franklin, this Ugh. this poor guy, like yeah. he's, he's just getting left behind constantly, right? And like they, they aren't very nice to him at all. And then we have our other siblings, which is Hitchhiker and Leatherface, mm-hmm. and like at points we see that like Hitchhiker is like maybe kind of like proud of Leatherface because he like kind of brags about like how Leatherface was a butcher, yeah, but. He, he still calls him Leatherface, right? And, like... <laughs> Maybe that's his given name. We don't like, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't have given names, I guess. <laughs> Whatever, you know. Um, but, like, we also get to see them, like, work together to, like, um, help carry Grandpa, who is 
in a wheelchair mm. uh, down the stairs together. And, like, that's that's the only kind of, like, sibling cooperation we get to see, aside from them, like, chasing Sally together and, like, trying to help Grandpa kill Sally. Yeah, and I mean, I... I almost I I think there's a way that you could interpret the sort of frenzied dance that uh, that Leatherface does at the end of the movie is grief for his brother who has just been struck by a transport truck in front of him. Maybe he's in the throes of grief. He could be I don't know. Maybe he's just dancing his cares away. Maybe this is just how he gets over a fat L of letting a chick run away into the bed of a truck. But I don't know. Uh, It's it's hard to say. You know what? If you choose to read I... that into it, though, that's what it is. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna choose to read. I'm gonna choose to read it that way. All I, right. I like that. It's like a morning dance because, like, uh, Leatherface, um, and like Hitchhiker, like they, they clearly have intellectual disabilities. Yeah. Um, and like Leatherface doesn't even talk. Like he 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 like he makes these animalistic noises and grunts, mm-hmm. um, and so like expresses himself through action and movement, um, and so that like that that reads true of like he probably doesn't know how to like process this emotion and so like gets it out physically through dance. Yeah, I mean, and I I gotta be honest, I don't I don't really love the way that they represented disability in this movie. Like, I did feel that, like, the villains of this movie are sort of grotesque caricatures of people with intellectual disabilities. And, like, Mm. quite a bit of the horror is these dudes kind of, like, sneering in your face and saying messed up things and making little sounds and stuff. That I just, I I thought it was a little offside. Um, Yeah, I I didn't really enjoy that. It's sort of, uh, and, like, you mentioned earlier, too, that, like, the way that Leatherface, you know, dresses in lady clothes at sometimes sort of like adds to his, mm-hmm. um, I forget the word you used for it, but like his, his deviance, Stigma? I think that was it. Like, yeah, yeah, his deviance that, you know, it's, he's, oh, he's, uh, big and he's, he's kind of like bigger than I think you would expect a human to be naturally. And he is. Uh, yeah, intellectually disabled and he dresses in lady clothes and all of these things are sort of like in working towards the horror of, you know, he's already a guy who wears people's skin as a face. He didn't need to be all these other things on top of that. Um, there was a take that I read online not too long ago that I thought was really interesting where it was talking about like representation of trans people or like gender nonconforming people, um, in media and basically saying like, Hey, people who act like you know, like there's like, you know, oh, we can't have representation of trans people in media. They didn't have a problem with Buffalo Bill of Silence of the Lambs. And they didn't have a problem with, look, we're not going to assign labels to Leatherface here, but whatever Leatherface was doing in this movie, you don't have a problem with people's gender nonconforming behaviors when they're horrific and grotesque. Um, Yes, when they're villains because of it. Yeah, so it's not about, like, how am I going to explain that this person is trans or what have you. It's like, how am I going to explain to my kids that this person is trans and not a freakish monster to be horrified by? So on that level, I don't love the way that Leatherface is characterized here. Um, Yeah. It's also 1974. It's It's the same thing we said about Rocky Horror, right? Like, it is... 
I, I'm sure they didn't mean any harm when they when they used some words that are now considered outdated to describe uh, uh, Dr. Frankenfurter, but I think it's something that bears talking about in 2022 when we look back on the movie. It definitely is, because um, you're right. Like, they really do um, use, like, the fact that he's uh, disabled and, you know, queer in some form (laughs) to amplify his, you know, horribleness and horrifyingness and, like, you know, inhumanness, right? Like, that, like... If Leatherface were just, you know, a big hulking man who didn't talk and wore a skin face, he's 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 still a man. Yeah, he's right? Michael Myers at that um, point, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's Michael Myers, right? Um, you know, they both got like the childhood trauma, but when you layer on the fact that oh, he's uh, intellectually delayed, and mm. you layer on the fact that he's got, you know, he he dresses up like a lady sometimes that adds two more layers of you know removal from humanity right because like in the 70s these are like dehumanizing things right you know it and it would be even worse you know if he was like a black or indigenous character right because it just further Mm. removes them from that you know ideal perfect human image of you know like a, a cis het you know uh, developed healthy white man yeah right so it 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 does turn turn him much more monstrous and like it wouldn't come across the same today uh which i think is why in the 2022 version they make Leatherface um his like woman mask wearing much more sentimental oh. to explain it instead of being like oh he's a oh, monster gotcha. it's like no, no, no. He he does this for a reason uh, because he has feelings. I yeah. I think that's a good time to get into our next segment, which is uh, a new segment that I'd like to introduce on this podcast <laughs> called "Could Have Been Gayer." Um, this is inspired by Lord Shen of our Discord server, um, who <laughs> used that phrase to describe. Uh, I believe it was old as well as the movie X. Yeah. Um, Yes. Where, so again, originally when I set out to look at the notes before Shannon sort of enlightened me about the the underlying themes of the movie, I was like, this wasn't, there was nothing gay about this. There was nothing LGBTQ (laughs) about this movie. Um, I do take that back, but I think it's fun to, you know, in this segment, if we think a movie could have been gayer, we just imagine how it could have been gayer. Um, Mine is that I'm going to ship Franklin with the hitchhiker because they could bond together over their love of knives um fall in love and (laughs) move into a house together where they make furniture out of appropriate animals not humans oh that's (laughs) that's mine (laughs) yeah it's like frank franklin is really into the butchering i he is they like sharp things they like talking about killing together they were having an okay time before hitchhiker started cutting um yeah and blowing up pictures of him and whatnot (laughs) franklin even seemed okay with the picture and just like wanted a better one (laughs) but like yeah (laughs) oh my god oh my god they could have like 
you know how like they have that like field of like sunflowers in front of the Sawyer house and like there's that like uh white wooden bench in the front yard that's like swinging yeah like just imagine like oh man like Leatherface could have like helped Franklin to like sit on the bench and like then Hitchhiker could have like taken like romantic portraits of him like (laughs) that have been sweet like living their country homosexual lives together that would have been so nice yeah how about you um see i i would have i would have i would have gave this up by um giving (laughs) oh god like giving Leatherface like a makeover scene, right? Like he just like kind of shows up for dinner in his lady face, whereas like the way I'd heard this talked about, I thought we would get like a full scene, mm. or at least like a snippet of a scene of like Leatherface like getting ready for dinner, like literally putting on on his dinner face, like applying the lady mask and like putting makeup on it, like maybe like picking out a dress and like dancing in front of the mirror as he's like getting dressed and like feeling his oats. <laughs> so like, Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, th- I thought, I thought we would get like something like that. Right. Like I, I was really hoping for that. Cause like, I, I don't know, maybe then we could have like had a little more fun with Leatherface because like he is playing dress up. Right. And like, he's he's like kind of childish and mm-hmm. like i i don't know i think i think it would have been fun do you think that would have humanized him more or added to the like sort of dehumanization that we were talking about and i mean we have that in buffalo bill so i guess that's like yes. we don't have to think too yes. hard about it like how <laughs> like like with with buffalo bill it definitely was something that made him more grotesque yeah and that was like a pivoted attack at, I'd say specifically trans women. Yeah. Um, but I think with Leatherface, if they'd done it, it would have been, um, instead of like a grotesque thing, a more of like a humor thing, right? And like a mm. laughing point back in the seventies. But it probably would have translated right. today as something like much more relatable. Yeah, and I also think people of a modern time would have like taken it and then taken the 50 years of history since then and look back on it and been like oh my god i love it <laughs> like we tend to do yeah! that i don't know <laughs> any any shred of like i think uh our our community has a really good um ability to reclaim characters and things at this point to just be like no it's ours now we lo- like oh, yeah. the babadook we the babadook was not gay at all <laughs> and we decided to just be like no he's ours now we love him. Which I The Babadook is ours. Yeah. Straight which up. so I don't know, maybe there's maybe there's an avenue to which we could claim Leatherface as like an uh, an icon of the queer community at some point. Now I I do I do have a question about Leatherface. Like mm. do like do you who who made the furniture? Like who's making these grotesque art pieces? Like is it Leatherface or is it the hitchhiker? Um, that's a good question. I'm going to say it's the hitchhiker because he's the one who sort of has an artistic sense about him. He's the, um, Mm. he's the photographer. He was maybe trying to draw something in blood on the side of the van. He's got like, he's got like this eye for design that he like has an artistic sense that he wants to express. So I'm going to say it's hitchhiker. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So we've got, like, Leatherface who's doing the butchering and, yeah. like, cleaning of the bodies mm-hmm. to, like, supply his brother with art materials. Yes. And then, yeah, and then Hitchhiker's doing all the art and, like, the building, and the dad is doing the cooking. And he's running the gas station part-time. So, yeah. I mean, we're... T- the more we talk about this family, the more it sounds like we're just kind of, like, imagining a great life for them and supporting everything they do. <laughs> Which, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> isn't my intent, but... Like, they are, like, a family. They're just trying to get by, and, like, Hitchhiker, like, he's probably the one who, like, lures people to the farm, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, the purpose they have for, like, luring people is, like, not only to eat, but also, like to feed grandpa and like Mm. give him that fresh blood to keep his vitality like keep him alive essentially like grandpa's straight up a vampire i did not like grandpa grandpa made me really uncomfortable yeah grandpa can't can't come to my birthday party (laughs) no (laughs) no but like he really does like epitomize our kind of like ageism of like infantilizing old folks right yeah yeah him being old also added to his creepiness which like i don't know maybe that also is part of like the dehumanization factor of horror like this era of horror tended to sort of like dive into that it's like oh what's the most fucked up guy we can imagine and then kind of however you characterize him to that point it's like hey man that's not nice to you know like, he's just old, man. Yeah, he's just old. It's like, this person is old. This person is gender non-conforming. This person has an intellectual disability. Like, that's not... Come on. Take it easy. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so you you put this question in the notes, <laughs> and you're trying to ask it to me, but I'm going <laughs> to reverse card, and uh, you've, you've activated my okay. trap card, and I'm going to ask you. Because I don't have an answer. Um, so why do you think they put Franklin's character in a wheelchair? Ugh, this, like, I've, I really don't know. Like, yeah. I, 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 like, I was talking with my mom about this when I was, like, going through the initial themes, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, disability comes up a lot, and, like, I, like, when doing the research for this, like, everything comments on, like, oh, it's a movie about me, and, like, you know, sexual violence against women Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, capitalism, blah, but no one talks about the themes of disability. And, like, I I thought it was, like, a really bizarre choice to have Franklin's character be in a wheelchair because, like, I've, I, I don't think in, like, all the horror movies I've watched I've ever seen a disabled character. And, like, it, it, it does make like a nice parallel to like grandpa being in a wheelchair and like mm-hmm. seeing how these two different characters, like who are two very different ages, right. Being treated as they're in wheelchairs, you know, grandpa is kind of like revered, you know, he's carefully carried down the stairs in the wheelchair. Whereas um, Franklin is kind of disregarded, right? Like he's, haphazardly like wheeled out of the van at the beginning of the movie right he's wheeled into like an open field that has like no protection and then like, falls into a ditch looking yeah and w- while holding like a jar of his pee like he goes yeah. to pee in that field and gets knocked over and, and... falls like 15 feet like that was a steep drop. yeah yeah 
and like and and like no one helps him into the old house like you know they straight up just leave him outside in the sun in the like desert basically and are just like all right we're gonna go like fuck around in here and see you later franklin he's just like completely disregarded so like yeah i guess maybe maybe it's like an intentional or unintentional statement um um of how people are left behind by society, right? And by specifically by able-bodied society, because in mm. order to be, you know, useful uh, to capitalism, you need to be current and you need to be able-bodied because otherwise you can't work. Um, and you also need to be, you know, mentally able to work. So we have yep. these characters who are um, intellectually disabled and we have characters like our character Franklin who's physically disabled and so these are the characters that get left behind by society and you know we like that actually does play into I think why Hitchhiker and Franklin kind of do hit it off a little bit is because they're these kind of like left behind characters who are used to being outcasts right are used to being you know disregarded just because of who they happen to be i think too like yeah that's a great point and i think like the when you talk about the parallel of franklin to grandpa are two characters who are uh wheelchair users um it it sort of speaks to the same mentality that we were talking about when it comes to like waste like franklin Mm -hmm. is discarded by his family whereas like uh grandpa (laughs) His family gets all the time with him that they possibly can because they keep him alive to 120 and carry him down the stairs. And they show so much devotion to him where they're not willing to waste any of the time that he has on this earth. Whereas Franklin is sort of subject to this sad throwaway society that uh, the new world lives in. So, yeah, that is an interesting parallel. I think we cracked the code as to why Franklin cut yeah nice nice oh my God, one we're geniuses we are oh. we should we should have a podcast yeah <laughs> and if any of our listeners have uh another take on that or like um more more thoughts on franklin's character like as a physically disabled character like please let us know because i mean yeah jake and i are both able-bodied people so we mm. we're missing out on a lot of the perspective yeah very very true um okay my uh, my question for you is what do you think happened to the truck driver at the end of the movie because the truck driver gets out of the 18 wheeler if you remember mm-hmm. um bonks leatherface with a wrench maims him and then he simply runs away he just runs off stage right and is not a re- like leatherface is swinging his chainsaw around and the truck driver i don't think he can go back to his truck like Leatherface is between yeah, no. him and the truck. So he's just in an open field with Leatherface at the end of the movie, but Leatherface is like otherwise occupied with his grief dance. So what what do we think happens to the truck driver? Like I can only imagine that the truck driver, who note is the only person of color in the movie. Um, oh, you're so right. I am so glad he does not die. Um I also love yeah. that his truck is called black maria i was just like yes okay go for it um i i can (laughs) i can only imagine 
that the truck driver is like crouched in like off the side of the road like watching from behind a tree as like Leatherface does his like interpretive chainsaw dance while the sun sets and is like what the fuck is going on like you know he doesn't have a cell phone or anything you know he already threw his wrench like mm-hmm. his it, Leatherface <laughs> is between him and his truck like all he can he's do used up his one bonk yeah he's used up his bonk and now he <laughs> literally just has to wait like this man probably just had to wait like hours until Leatherface finally like tuckered himself out and you know picked up his flattened roadkill brother and like stumbled on back home or like cried himself to sleep in the ditch oh here's what i'm thinking nightmare scenario he runs off to try to find help and ends up at either the house or the gas station (gasps) no (laughs) no jake no I don't know. It's it's distinctly possible, is all I'm saying. It, it definitely is imaginable. Possible, imaginable. But I, 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 I say no, <laughs> no. This truck driver was <laughs> was a you know a good guy. He stopped yeah. to help Sally. Like prioritized her safety over his own, and like yeah, is the reason she survived. So he's like, a hero. He's a straight-up hero. He was so selfless at the end of the is. movie. He does not have a name. He just... He did, I don't think he has any lines. He just yeah. kind of wordlessly springs into action and, like, is kind of the MVP of the movie. No, Sally jumped through two windows. She's the MVP <laughs> of the movie. Yes, Sally jumped through two windows. Um, <laughs> she fucking broke that glass. Like, if there were a ceiling there, she would have broken through it too, okay? <laughs> what is yes, a window Sally. if not a horizontal ceiling? Um, exactly vertical idiot <laughs> so <laughs> stupid wow wow um so <laughs> i'd say le- i'd say let's do one more question and then wrap it up Ooh. okay do we do we want to do a movie like a like a question about the movie or do you want to uh, uh, de- dealer's choice okay okay i'm i'm gonna go with the movie so was Leatherface justified in killing Kirk, Pam, and Jerry because they were trespassing on their property and they were home invaders. Okay, I... Look, maybe under Texas law. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like if you want to look in the eyes of the law, then, then perhaps. I don't know how castle law doctrine works in 1974 in Texas. I, I also didn't like Kirk or Pam, so, I mean, that's fine. I would say he was offside when he killed Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so, so Kirk and Pam <laughs> that's, were justified. That's my terrible take for the day. Yeah, my, Jerry, that's my one terrible far. take of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, I accept it. I accept it. Two out of four justified. So Leatherface yeah. is half justified. Oh, okay. One more thing. Like, I've been meaning to bring this up throughout. The chainsaw murders of uh, uh, Kirk. Well, Kirk, like, he got, you know, chainsawed while Pam watched. And then um, uh, Franklin got chainsawed while he was in the wheelchair. Just the yeah. acting on, like, Leatherface's, like, on Gunner's arm movements while he was chainsawing these people to death was so funny. Like, 
I ha- I have seen Muppets do better, like more convincing arm movements. Just he's straight up like rocking his arms back and forth. Again, if you've ever held a chainsaw in your life, you know <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. He's not chainsawing a single thing. There's no resistance in what he's doing. He is making circles. He's like writing his name with the chainsaw in the air. <laughs> he's not doing shit. <laughs> okay, but the interesting thing is that he was actually holding a chainsaw. The chainsaw yeah. was actually like in use and in motion. And he yeah. was like holding that chainsaw like actively like only three or four inches away from the actor okay see i believe that i think they would have been better off to like put like somehow do like a force perspective thing put like a pig torso there and have him like saw into something real i like just to me it was so clear that he was not like there was no there's no resistance to what he's doing i don't know maybe i'm getting too Uh, graphic with it but (laughs) oh i got you Okay. My fellow chainsaw okay. holders out there, let, let, <laughs> let me know what you think. Because I think he was not, there. there's no way. He was doing, he, that was air chainsaw. That was like the air guitar equivalent of chainsawing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Wow. All right. Um, hey, hey, Shannon, what movie are we watching next week? <laughs> Speaking of chainsaws, we're actually watching another <laughs> a saw themed movie and no it is not saw we will be watching velvet buzzsaw and velvet buzzsaw buzz buzz is a 2019 film directed and written by dan gilroy and it is starring jake gyllenhaal our favorite gay cowboy oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, also Natalia Dyer from uh, Stranger Things is in it. It's uh, it's awesome. I've seen it before. It's, like, a great commentary on sort of, like, modern art space and, like, how capitalism, like, inter- intersects with the world of art. And if, like, if you're sick and tired of us talking about capitalism and blaming all the world's problems on capitalism, you are not going to like next week's episode because it's kind of, I don't know. But it's awesome. It's, like, it's a very cool movie. Um I think we're going to dig it. I don't know if anyone is it in it is like explicitly queer, but I kind of think Jake Gyllenhaal's character is like kind of gay coded. So I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to, to get into it with you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I, I haven't seen it, but I like art. I, I like critiquing capitalism. Uh, yeah. Ever since the first book we read in grad school, like, I think it's like the world and 10 cheap things are like cheapening things with capitalism. My life has just been ruined. Like the moment you really fully comprehend how capitalism has destroyed our world. There's no turning back. Like there's that, that's, 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 that's just plot development. Like, damn. Yeah. It is truly an unsettling time to be alive. Everybody. Yeah, but I, I fucking love Jake Gyllenhaal. I yeah, love at least Jake Gyllenhaal. At, you know, we're watching we're watching capitalism slowly dismantle our our planet, but we get to be alive at the same time as Jake Gyllenhaal. So it's a good trade. Yes, that's God all. God bless. Oh man. God bless. All right, everybody. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, Feel free to chime in on this week's conversation, by the way. If you want to join our Discord, there's a link in the description of this episode where you can see our socials and our Discord. 
Um, and yeah, you can join. We have like sort of book book club-like conversations about a different movie every two weeks. I, we always say every week, but it's every two weeks. We're lying to you. Yeah. Every week. Um, it's a fortnight. <laughs> yeah, we're out flossing and shit. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it. God. <laughs> I even say that to my dentist. They'll be like, oh, did you floss this time? And I'll be like, nah. Bleeding you know, gums Pearson over here. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Jake's worst nightmare. Oh, God. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We'll, uh, we'll see you around on the, on the internet. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, bye. <laughs>